Now, I'm going to speak of our salt and God's salt, but it's the same. It all comes from God, okay? And the same with the light. Sometimes I'm going to say our light or God's light, but it's all from God. That's what we're talking about. It's all spiritual. So, we're basing this off of these two verses, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. Now, this is, oh, I do want to mention we're not talking about grumpy old man salt, okay? Not like the old salty sailor, nothing like that, okay? Just want to be clear. All right, so this is part of the Sermon on the Mount that the Lord is giving. These verses are, and I want us to notice two things before we read the verses fully. Uh, at the beginning of verse 13, he says, You are the salt of the earth. And at the beginning of verse 14, he says, You are the light of the world. So it's important to realize that he's talking to us, saying that this is what we are. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? Now, here he's saying, how shall it be seasoned? Well, he's talking about the earth there because we are the salt of the earth. That's what we're seasoning. It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Now, there he's talking about the salt becoming worthless if we don't maintain that. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. So first, let's talk about the salt. We know what salt is. We use it every day, all the time. Um, salt is used as a flavoring to make our food all good and tasty. And for us, in a spiritual sense, it makes our life in this world more, more palatable. It makes it better and enjoy more enjoyable. Salt is also used for cleaning things. It has been for a long time. Uh, one example here in the Bible from 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. This is Elijah, Elisha using salt to purify bad water. And he said, Elisha, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the source of the water and cast in the salt there and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From it there will be no more death or barrenness. In the same way, as Christians, we should have a cleansing effect on our society around us. We should stand for and support good and godly things, the innocent things in life, and we should speak out against the things that are harmful and bad for people, the things that the culture promotes a lot of times. This is a form of God's salt in the world that we should be shaking out. Salt is also a preservative. We should be preserving or saving the world with our godly acts. Remember that if God had found even 10 righteous people in Sodom, he wouldn't have destroyed it. God's salt can save if we will not lose our saltiness and become like the world. All offerings were to be made with salt. In Leviticus chapter 2, verse 13, And every offering of your grain offering you shall season with salt. You shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings you shall offer salt. 
Saul also symbolizes wisdom and fidelity. And due to being a preservative, it symbolizes durability and things that last. Kind of goes with fidelity, right? Things that stand the test of time. Uh, thus, we have a covenant of salt mentioned here by God. And I just think covenant of salt sounds funny until you understand what is meant. All the heave offerings of the holy things which the children of Israel offer to the Lord, I have given to you and your sons and daughters with you as an ordinance forever. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord with you and your descendants with you. In this case, in this case, it is meant to be an enduring, eternal covenant. And this type of covenant is mentioned again here in 2 Chronicles chapter 13, verse 5. Should you not know that the Lord God of Israel gave the dominion over Israel to David forever to him and his sons by a covenant of salt? But back to our verse. Matthew 5, 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. I feel like this picture represents me. I stumble and I fall and I'm a mess and I make a mess. But God just picks me back up, you know, and gets me going again. But the Lord is telling us not to lose our saltiness. We need to endure. Now, what is the salt that the Lord is referring to? The salt is being who we are in Christ, letting God's love and our love for him shine in our daily lives. This is his love for us and others, and our love for him and for others. Now, for some context, you look back at the beginning of this chapter, chapter 5, and you have the Beatitudes. Jesus had just described them. We should be all of these things as we follow the Lord. We should be humble and seeking God and merciful and peacemakers. Those traits, that godly love, spirit of God, and that desire for God, living our lives by faith according to God's word, that is our salt. If we want to change hearts and minds in the world, they need to see us acting as Jesus describes. We are representatives of God. Our actions should be testifying about the Lord. We should be walking testimonies to the love of God. And as we go through life, we need to be God's salt shakers, you know? we sprinkling His salt, His love, everywhere we go. This is the simplest way to represent the, the Lord and draw people to Him in our actions and our attitudes. What is a beatitude? A beautiful attitude. That is what a beatitude really is. These are attitudes we need to adopt and display. This is God saw in us. It's our lifestyle in Christ. It's how we live. Paul tells us in Colossians, Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. So who, who are outside and what are they outside of? What's well, the, the body of Christ? It's those lost souls that need to see and hear us outside. 
Don't be afraid to mention God, to praise the Lord, to offer prayers. We want the Lord to, we want the world, I mean, we want the world to see our salt, to taste it, maybe to be saved by it. They should see us pray in restaurants. They should hear us say, God bless you and thank God. The, the salt needs to be commonplace everywhere in our life in this world. Did you know that salt inhibits or curbs the growth of yeast? In high amounts or in a great concentration, it can kill yeast. Now it's funny to me how smart God is that he creates this metaphor and comparison for us because what does yeast or leaven represent in the Bible? Sin, right? And yet here he tells us to defeat sin with God's love or salt, right? So to me, this is just makes a great metaphor of the salt and the yeast, the leaven. Remember, Jesus represented himself as bread with no leaven, no yeast. So in other words, we should all just be, you know, salty, unleavened bread or crackers running around. So when Jesus tells us not to lose our saltiness, though, what is he, what is he telling us? Have sorrow over sin and the lost. Repent and help others repent. Don't lose our love of God, our desire for God to seek him and to know him. Don't lose our humility. Stay peaceful, merciful, and pure. Remember God loves you and tell others the same. Be glad when we're persecuted. It means we're doing something right. That's something my mom has always told me. If they're mad at you, you're doing something right. So smile at your enemies. Love them. It'll drive them crazy, but do it anyway. We can make the world, the culture, our society a better place just by engaging in it as a representative of Christ. In doing that, setting that example, our salt can make others thirsty for the Lord. I know salt makes me thirsty. If you ever eat something really salty, it always makes you thirsty. When they see us going through the same struggles, but we are not losing our peace, when they see us going through hard times and we're not losing our joy, they will wonder why, and some will ask. I've had a few times in my life where people have asked about my faith, and I hope I was able to plant a seed in them that was helpful to them. Sometimes they'll just ask about your attitude or why, why you're not upset or concerned. It's an opening. Let them know that you trust the Lord. Shake out a little salt for them. Now, let's look at shining our light. I've added verses 15 and 16 because I think they give good context to what the Lord was saying. And I think what the Lord says is important, right? So Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16 you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. 
we can't be undercover Christians. We have to be plain. We have to be outspoken. But we still need to be humble, and we still need to be kind. The Lord says we are a light, not a hidden light. We're not, well, what do we say? Not under a basket. So we are intended to be a bright light, something that people would see up on a hill or maybe up in the sky that would draw people out of the darkness of sin. Lighting the world around us with the light of Jesus, giving people a way out. We are to be the guides and comforters and healers, the ones who help draw people to the narrow path. You know, our light comes from God. It is the light of his love. It's also the light of his word. As we follow his word, his love, it grows in us and it's shown through us in our actions and our attitudes. Now, I know that our society really doesn't want to see or hear it. They don't want to know about the gospel. They don't want to hear about the gospel. Of course they don't. They love their sin. They love the darkness. And here Jesus talks about, now this is after John 3.16 and 3.17. He talks about this just a couple of verses down. John 3.19-21. This is about people rejecting the love of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. Unfortunately, a lot of people are bound to their chains of sin. They're captured and trapped in the darkness of society's thinking and in men's guidance. When people are trapped and held, a lot of times they become accustomed to their situation. They even grow to kind of, to kind of like it. They think they like it. It happens when people are imprisoned. They become conditioned to that lifestyle. It takes work and effort to break through that type of conditioning. And a lot of people are convinced that they love their godless life. Paul mentions this in talking about those outside the body of Christ here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So who are perishing? Those outside of Christ in the darkness. And who is the God of this age that blinds people? That's still the same. It's Satan. It's the adversary. People in the dark do not want the light of the gospel to shine on them. It will wreck their world. It will change everything for them. And you know, we tend to hate change. I hate change. I would like to just do the same thing every day. Sit back and relax, just the same way, with the same little cup of coffee and everything every day, right? But they are, they are comfortable. They are comfortable in the blind, in a uh, comfort, well, okay, <clears throat> pardon me. They are comfortable being blind in the darkness. 
And that sounds hard to believe, but there they are free to do what they want. They have no moral responsibilities. There's no right or wrong or moral authority except their own. And they rage and rail against us if we just try to yank them out of the darkness into the light. So we must expose them to the light from our lives over time. God's light must shine in our daily lives so that they see it. They will be curious and they'll be interested. It'll be gradual and it will be their idea. And it's really important that it be their idea and that it come from them, that they're interested and that they come to God. That's how I think probably all of us did that. If we shine the light and show them the door to their cages open, they may eventually come out and be free. Now, people are the same. They're the same today as they were in Jesus' time. Here, the Lord refers to a scripture in Isaiah, chapter 6, verse 10, but this is in Matthew, chapter 13, verse 15. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. This is the same condition that people have always been in. So we need to let Jesus shine through us without apologies, but not rudely, gently, kindly, Boldly be bold and confident, but in love to others. We cannot hide our light. Just that example, the light of the Lord shining in the darkness, can be enough. Simple acts of kindness, thoughtfulness, and acknowledging God. Even more so as we struggle with our own brokenness. Admit we have our own pain and weaknesses. Don't hide the hard parts. Instead, let that light shine brighter. Show that you are trusting in the Lord through the bad times. And demonstrating God's forgiveness, not our perfection, because that doesn't exist. We're not perfect. We want to make sure that we remember that we're forgiven and stress that that's the key. We are forgiven. If someone asks, we can share our personal story of the Lord, how he helps us and saves us, how he guides us. We each have something like that that we can talk about to someone. Show that God is lighting our path through his word. We follow the Lord on a narrow path, but he shines bright in front of us. And if we want to be like the Lord, we need to shine for others. So remember to stay salty not grumpy, but salty, with God's word and love, and shine his light, not because we are special, but because he is. Shake and shine for the Lord every day. He is the one true God. He is love and is our guiding light. I want to leave you with a couple of psalms regarding God's light. His light, his word shines for us. It brings us out of the darkness sometimes, even if we stray off. And I find these encouraging and comforting. Psalm chapter 18, verse 28. For you will light my lamp. 
The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's enlightenment, it comes from his word. We have access to it and it is available for us to read, to listen to, so many ways. If there's anyone here feeling that you are in darkness, feeling that you're lost or you're hurt, if you need the light of God to show you the path or maybe you need to refocus back on the Lord Jesus and get back to him on the narrow way, if you're weary and tired, the Lord offers peace and rest. Remember that God does love you. He cares and wants to show you a better way, even here and now. If you'd like to come forward to become a Christian or to have prayers for any need, we invite you to do that now as we stand and sing.